So I was curious. I just looked up unencumbered to see what that was. And it's free from debt or financial liability. So congratulations, Joey, on that. <laughs> so we're, I get to open the study on the book of Ecclesiastes. It's for three Sundays. But... Um, you know, it's a fascinating book. If you read it, if you read it through all in one sitting, it's uh, really good stuff. And uh, it's the words of wisdom from Solomon, the wisdom the Lord gave Solomon. But what I want to talk about this morning, before we jump into it uh, next week, is what I see as a problem with the book of Ecclesiastes. And that is that the wisest man in the world, Solomon, failed to benefit from the wisdom which the Lord gave him. And if you read Solomon's history, he didn't do very well. It didn't leave a good example for us. And it, so it, it brings to mind the term physician, heal thyself, and then come back and give us your words of wisdom. Well, that's not exactly the case, but um, Solomon uh, did get himself in trouble. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. So Solomon actually lost the kingdom that David, his father, had built, put together, and he had expanded on. But the Lord told him, we're going to take this away from you and give it to your servant. So uh, where I'm going this morning, I, you saw blessed wretchedness. Um, this is actually a key to um, being able to receive the benefits of the Lord's wisdom through Solomon that Solomon wasn't able to use. We have access to information that Solomon didn't have that allows us to benefit from that wisdom. So to start, I want to tell you about a 800-pound um, refrigerator that I knew once. Uh, many years ago, 50 years ago, when I, when I first came to Homer, young and single, I needed to find a place to stay, and I found a building that was kind of under construction, not by a carpenter, down by Grubstake, Bonanza, down in that area. I, I can't even find it now. I'm pretty sure it was condemned, but uh, he, didn't, he gave up on it, but he let me move into it, uh, half-finished. So one of the first things I had to do was find a refrigerator. So back then you went to the Homer News, looked in the want ads, I found a refrigerator, I went and picked it up and I brought it over to my place. I wish I had a picture of it, but I found one that looks like it. So this is it here. So this is back when refrigerators were refrigerators. This is 50 years ago and the refrigerator was probably 50 years old already. And they built them like 57 Chevys back then. So I got, it to, I got it to the house, and I needed to get it upstairs, but this guy had built this tiny little winding stairwell that the refrigerator wouldn't even fit in. So I went upstairs, and on the outside wall, um, nothing on the inside, just plywood on the outside, so I actually kicked off a piece of plywood, and I took a couple studs out, and then I had this wide opening here, and I could get the the truck in the fridge right below me there. And then I had this 
magical tool called a come-along, like this. So I took the come-along, I hooked it on the rafter, rafter, and then I pulled it down. I went downstairs and pulled the cable all the way down, and I put a rope around the refrigerator, and then a little loop on top of it, and I put the hook of the come-along in that. And then I came back upstairs, and I could just winch it like this. This is almost magic. It just comes up like inch by inch by inch. It get all the way up, and it hit the top where I ran out of a cable, and I was about this much short from being able to pull it inside the house. And it seemed to me like 800 pounds. So I had to figure out how am I going to get it, how am I going to get it in here. So fortunately, I had in junior high school I had a class or I had a lesson on the magic of levers and fulcrums. And <clears throat> so the way this works is you put the refrigerator on the load side, the 800 pounds, and if the levers same distance both sides back then, 150 pounds, me standing on it, I can't budge it. But every time you double the length of the lever, I double my weight. Or I double what the refrigerator thinks I weigh. So if I could get out there far enough, I can actually lift the refrigerator up. Well, he had material stacked there, and I found two 16-foot two-by-fours, and I stuck them a couple feet under the fridge, and then I just walked back on the two-by-fours, and so now I'm, I'm 16 feet or 14 feet from the fulcrum back there, and sure enough, the refrigerator came up, and it was level with me on the floor, and I was congratulating myself actually on my genius for accomplishing this, and while I was there, this is a true story, while I was standing back there, what happened when the refrigerator came up, it took the weight off the rope, and the rope fell out of the loop on the come-along. It took a little bit to sink in for me. I am back there now, the refrigerator is 14 feet away, and I am the only thing holding it up. So, uh, I have to figure out what to do. So I could, I could just step off, but my truck is down there. <laughs> and these 16-foot 2x4s are going to take the roof off when they come up. So that really wasn't an option. I did have this thought. Um, maybe I can run to the refrigerator before it catches on and get the rope in the hook and save it that way. I did have that thought. And that I thought about it, I looked at the refrigerator, and it was saying... Sure, give it a try. <laughs> so I knew that if I did try that, it was going to throw me through the roof, and I would come down on Beluga Slough somewhere. And it was a metal roof, too. It would have been pretty. So that's my situation. I'm standing there. This is a Mexican standoff. Um, I don't know what to do. And this is before cell phones. Nobody else in the house. No close neighbors. I'm actually stuck there powerless really to do anything. So this is my mission. I must master this fridge. I must master this fridge. And what does the refrigerator say? Good luck with that. So <clears throat> we're going to get back to me later. So this is a this is a parable of what I want to what I want to share with you this morning. If you are a descendant of Adam and Eve, uh, which most of you are, um, 
you have been in this situation. If you haven't been in it, you will be in it, where you're faced with something that you cannot um, master. So let me explain. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the fruit of the Lord, and Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. So these are the two sons, the two boys of Adam and Abe. They both want a working relationship with the Lord, so they're going about that. And it says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And the Lord said, whoa, Cain, what is this? I can tell just by looking at you. Um, we have a problem here. We need, to, we need to talk about this. So they had a talk. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Let's talk about that. Why is your face downcast? Why is your, um, your countenance changed like this? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? If you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. It wants to master you. But you must master it. So this is, this is his advice to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. So Cain now has this 800-pound refrigerator that he has to master. I don't think at this time, I doubt whether Adam and Eve had any idea of the consequences of bringing sin into the world and what that was going to do. But it's going to become apparent, even more apparent in their kids and their grandkids. So the instructions are, you must master sin to Cain and to us all. You must master sin. And what does sin say? Good luck with that. And this is the... Um, this is the standoff, and we, we can see how it plays out with Cain. Yep. And Cain talked about this with his brother, Abel, and it came out when in their field, something happened. Something triggered this anger in Cain, and apparently he lashed out and... Um, did something to his brother, and I'm guessing that he was horrified by what happened. He killed his, killed his brother, just not being able to master this, this anger that he had. <clears throat> That's the, how that plays out for Cain and mastering sin. Um, now if you follow Adam and Eve's children down through the generations, so in the Bible, in the Old Testament, we have all that history, 4,000 years of history, and we can trace it and see how it goes. When you read through the Old Testament, um, you will discover that the history is a history of wars. It's war after war after war after war, all the way through um, the Old Testament. Uh, <clears throat> when it gets to the 10th generation, the Lord says the world is full of violence, full of violence. We're going to do a reset. It wasn't just Cain and Abel. The world was full of violence. Every morning when they wake up, read the headlines, more violence, more school shootings, more senseless violence. Um, <clears throat> until we get down to our day, where now we're talking about nuclear war as a possibility. So we haven't really, we don't have a good track record when it comes to 
mastering uh, the sin that crouches at our door. But with, with Cain, it was uh, anger, the refrigerator of anger. With you, it may be something else. Maybe anger isn't an issue with you. Let's look at a couple. Now, when evening came and David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house, from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. And David went, oh, sin is crouching at your door, David. You must master it. And he tries, uh, yes, yes, I know what I should not do. Just go find out who she is. Comes back, ah, uh, she's married. Ah, uh, and he's trying to master this sin that's crouching at his door. And we know <clears throat> how he did. So he, was, he went up on his rooftop and saw, we have laptops. We can do exactly the same thing on our laptops. Something pops up and say, oh, no, I shouldn't even look at this. And this sin is crouching at our door, trying to master us, trying to pull us in. And this is the struggle that David had. Maybe let's look at another one. This is Judas, one of the 12 disciples. He's, he's complaining because there's a loss of revenue and something that happened here. And he said, he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. There's his 800-pound refrigerator crouching at his door. This, this love of money that just overpowers him. And he's taking from the funds given for the ministry to the poor. And, and then it leads to his, his uh, historic atrocity in trading Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And we know in his case, um, <clears throat> he was so ashamed of that that he actually took his life. Uh, he just couldn't believe that he had done this, but he wasn't able to master that, that sin. Uh, one more. After a little while, this is when they're taking Jesus in to be crucified. After a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. He began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you're talking about. So there's his sin crouching at his door. It's his fear of being associated with Jesus or what that might cost him if he is associated with Jesus. And he never dreamt he would do this. He thought he'd be brave and true and, and loyal. But when it came down to it, he was overpowered. He could not overpower that sin that he had of this fear of being associated with Jesus. And he also instantly went out and says, wept bitterly that he couldn't have um, handled this better. So my point is every one of us has our own special uh, customized sin crouching at the door. You may not have trouble with any of those. You have your own trouble. That when it comes up, there you are, you in this uh, refrigerator in this standoff, and you don't know what you're going to do, how you're going to overcome this. So even Solomon, who we're talking about, had his vulnerabilities. So here's what it says about him. Moreover, he shall not, the king shall not multiply horses, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, neither greatly increase silver and uh, gold for himself. So despite all his wisdom, 
all three of these overpowered um, Solomon. Did he multiply wives? 700 wives plus 300 spare wives that he kept, I suppose, in dormitories behind his house where he housed all of these wives. He actually became the most promiscuous man in the Bible. And to his downfall, he wasn't able to get on top of that. So I want to say also that when the Lord said uh, to Cain, sin is crouching at your door and wants to have you, you must master it, the Lord actually already knew that Cain was not going to be able to master this. So when you read through the scriptures, you realize the Lord is really big on discovery learning. He wants you to discover for yourself. He can say, no, you're not going to be able to do that. He says, give it a shot. When you realize what you cannot do, then come to me and we'll talk about it. So that's the Lord's um, strategy in this. It's, it's 4,000 years in before the Lord has somebody share with us exactly what's the problem. When we've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, he, um, he brings Paul along to articulate uh, what the problem exactly is, and he points us to the solution. So this is what Paul says. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me. I want to do the right thing. I know what the right thing is, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. I practice the very evil I do not want to do. And that's the struggle for all these years. I know what the right thing to do. Actually, um, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we have now the knowledge of good and evil. But it's not helping us because we can't do the good and not do the evil. We're struggling with that, and that's what Paul is pointing out here. For I joyfully concur with the lot of God in the inner man. I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. I concur with the lot of God, God in my inner man, and that's his conscience. And he agrees with it, he agrees with his conscience, but there's this war going on, and he makes him a prisoner of the law of sin which is in his members. That's this uh, despair that he's feeling about this. And he finally cries out these famous words, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Wretched man that I am. And this is the blessed wretchedness that is the key to uh, helping us succeed in this assignment given to us by the Lord. And this is what he's been waiting for. Um, for us to fully acknowledge our wretchedness. Lord, I cannot do this. I need help. And the Lord says, yes, you cannot do this. And I'm going to help you. So you notice that Paul points us to the solution here. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Not what will set me free. What can I do? He says, who will set me? The help he's describing is a person. And then he gives us that. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus came to set us free, to set the prisoner free from sin. And uh, he's let us lay down the track record to show you can't do this, but now I'm going to give you the solution for that. And she will bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins. 
Um, so I think normally we think of he came to save us from the penalty of our sin, which he did. But it's more than that. It's this, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we, might, that we should no longer be um, slaves to sin. That's the package, the penalty of sin and the power of sin. He came to set us free so that we would not be slaves, that we can overcome that uh, refrigerator in our life. Um, no longer to be slaves of sin. We know for Jesus that didn't come without cost to him or without injury to him. He had to pay for that to purchase our freedom from slavery. And now he can say that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So I'm just going to say for a minute, there may be someone here who this is actually new information uh, to. Uh, if that's the case, and this um, seems appropriate to you, it seems like it applies to you, uh, the way you avail of this is simply to say what Paul said. I am a wretched man. Lord, I am a wretched man. I need help. Forgive me for what I've done in the past. And now help me to overcome that and be free from that in the future. If that's you and you want to make that prayer over here after the service, there'll be some who can pray with you on that. You can pray by yourself. It's actually helpful to pray with somebody on that. And the Lord says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He will respond when he hears those words come from you. So to all the rest of you now, um, I want to ask, you already know this, I want to ask how goes the battle? How are you doing? Um, are you able to master your special refrigerator in, in uh, your life? In this Mexican standoff, are you trying to negotiate a settlement? Um, or are you just flat out losing the battle and you've gone through the roof and you're in Beluga Slough somewhere? Well, I don't know where you're at, but I'm going to give you three uh, pro tips. Not because I'm a pro, but I'm getting it from the Bible. So three pro tips for you in this standoff that all of us are in from time to time with that refrigerator. So I'm going to first have you uh, consider the eagle. I actually shared this story before, but it's very appropriate um, here. When I was a kid, uh, my dad would, in Kodiak, trap beaver and otter for kind of a sideline. And I got to go along with him. Uh, <clears throat> and sometimes he would, if we hiked a long ways and he caught a beaver, he would skin it and uh, leave the carcass there rather than pack it all the way back. So one time I brought some fox traps with me and he skinned out the beaver and I set the fox traps around the beaver carcass. And uh, we came back and there was an eagle in my trap. Uh, and it, so it's a spring trap. It had him by his foot. It didn't break his leg, uh, but he couldn't get away. He couldn't. I'm sure he tried many times to fly away, but it wasn't working. Um, let's take a drink. So my dad actually was able to get the eagle out of the trap not without great cost and injury to himself. He had to get tetanus shots when we got into town. Uh, but he got it out of the trap, and then, yeah, shoot, shoot, 
fly away, but it wouldn't fly. So he picked it up, and he just tossed it up in the air, and, the little, and it just bounced back down to the ground like a ball. He wouldn't even open his wings. So he did that several times, and it just wouldn't, he wouldn't even attempt to fly. And so what we should have done is sit down and say, look it, this is the trap. See? This is what was holding you. It's not holding you anymore. You're free. We set you free from the trap. You can fly. You can soar like an eagle. See? But the eagle wasn't buying it. He just wouldn't even try. And then my dad took his wings and stretched them out like this and tried to, and threw it up. And same thing. He just come down. So he did that for several times multiple times, stretching his wings out as far as he could and throwing it in the air. And finally, it just took a couple little flaps and just went over and landed in a tree. Say, good. Try that again. And uh, <clears throat> so, um, this is us, actually. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Um, that's us. But the problem is, when you've been in that trap for a few days, like that eagle was, and he tried and he tried and he tried, every time he tried to fly, he was yanked back down to the ground by the chain that was tied to a tree. Um, he just, he just, I can't do this. I just give up and won't try it. But I would say, if my dad was patient and gentle, and understanding with this eagle, even though it was harming him, um, how much more will our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, uh, help us and work with us and say, no, no, you can do this, you can do this. I know, I know you've tried a hundred times, but you can do this and he'll work with us and try to make that um, happen to us. But, but this is the thing. Um, the... The chain is broken when you come to the Lord. Um, our problem now isn't the chain. It's our history. It's our past history. It's our struggles that we had, our habits we've built in. When you fail now, it's not the power of sin. There's something else at play. And the Lord will work with you on that and try to help you um, overcome that. So you may have to say, Lord, I believe, but you're going to have to help my unbelief and help me. Uh, fully believe in this freedom that you've given me. So the second thing I want to point out is that when the Lord brought the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt, and he brought them out and set them free, took them to the promised land, and they finally got there. He said, okay, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go and take the cities. They said, well, we were hoping you would just give them to us. No, you have to go in to the promised land and take them one by one. So this is a little disappointing, I imagine, for them. But came up to the first one, Jericho, these, this fortress, high wall with soldiers all around the top. We're supposed to take that? So this is like an 8 million pound refrigerator for them. How are we ever going to do this? And the Lord says, no, no, I'm going to work with you. We're going to make this work. Just walk in circles around the city for a week and watch what happens. So fortunately, there was an artist with them. And he painted this picture. Um, this, the wall just fell down. Fell down right in front of him. Actually, there was two artists. Here's the other one. <clears throat> so, 
some of the battles will be Jericho's. I think especially as new Christians, you probably met people who came to the Lord, they had addictions, and they were delivered on the spot. So some of those battles will be Jericho's, but the children of Israel didn't have any more Jericho's. No more walls fell down. They had to go city by city for a number of years, hand-to-hand combat, conquering each one of these cities to claim the land that the Lord had promised to them. He actually told them about this before they went in. I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I'll drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. So this is, this is the plan for mastering this sin. Conquer, occupy, fortify, then we'll go on to the next one. He said, little by little, we're going to work through this. I want you to conquer, and I want you to be able to keep the land which you've conquered. So we're going to work on that, and then we're going to move on to the next one. So it's little, little by little. Um, I can speak now from almost 50 years of experience in this, and I would say for me personally, some battles were Jericho's. There's some areas that people struggle with that I've never had a single struggle with. It's not a temptation for me at all. But there are other things, 50 years on, is still every morning, ah, hand-to-hand combat again to deal with these things. But at 50 years, I can turn around and look back over 50 years, and what I see is steady progress. I like it to be a graph like this, but it's this long, slow, steady progress. After 50 years, it can be discouraging, but if you can live long enough to look back, you can see that, yes, I am getting stronger and stronger and stronger in this area and able to master those temptations that come up. So, and I think the advice is, do you have to be in for the long haul? You're not going to get it all in one day. Um, <clears throat> and you can't negotiate any peace treaty with sin. You have to say, no, I'm in here until this is defeated. This sin, this thing that challenges me, is, is, uh, no longer has power over me. So the last thing, I want to get back to me in the refrigerator where I'm being held hostage Standing there, I don't know how long I stood there, but I just couldn't figure out, what can I do? How can I get out of this situation? At the time, I didn't know about this scripture. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Nothing new for the Lord. Whatever your situation is, nothing new to him. He's done this. He's worked with many people before on this. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there is an escape hatch in your situation. He's promised us that. Not going to put you in something that you will inevitably fail in. There will be an escape hatch that we can use if needed. Um, so, I'm way back there standing on the end of the two-by-fours, and I looked around the room, and I saw over here there's a, a few eight-foot two-by-fours. So, I, I got down and tried to reach, and I couldn't reach it. I actually laid on the, my two-by-fours 
trying to keep all my weight on the two-by-fours and not on the floor. Um, and I reached out, and I was able to get uh, one two-by-four, and I used that to get another. Now I have two eight-foot two-by-fours. What will I do with them? I'm on the end of the two-by-fours back here. I stick the eight-foot two-by-fours on the end of the 16-foot two-by-fours, and I wedge them against the ceiling. And I thought to myself, will that hold if I step off? But I looked at the refrigerator, <laughs> and I knew it was going to work. And it did. I stepped off the two-by-fours. I came up, and I put the rope uh, back in the come-along and made sure it wouldn't fall out to keep the thing from crashing down. And then I was able to um, work it back and forth and back and forth and got it inside the house. And then I boarded the wall up, and I've wondered ever since, how did they ever get it out? <laughs> so, <clears throat> yeah. If the house was there, if I can find it, I want to check. Is that refrigerator still up there or stuck on the spiral staircase somewhere? So this is the promise. For every test, um, there's a built-in escape hatch. The Lord guarantees us that. When you fail now, it isn't inevitable. You just missed the escape hatch. Um, you didn't look hard enough for it or you weren't interested in it or whatever it is. Uh, but it wasn't inevitable. He's built into this to make sure that we can succeed um, if we're determined to do that. So this is my reminder to have the worship team come up in case I forget. But there's one more very important thing I want to close with, and that is our Savior knows our struggle intimately. He knows our struggle. And I'm not sure if everybody is really clear on this, but let me go through it. It says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, he's talking about. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet successfully mastered that sin. That's Jesus. He has been tested just like us. He was a man. When he came as a man, he opened himself up to those same, same temp temptations. Um, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, in bondage to sin like Adam and Eve were later, but he was tempted the same as we are. And here's what it says. In the days of his flesh, when he was a man, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. It's important to know that he's not saying, save me from the cross. He came to die on the cross. That's not what he's talking about here. It says he, in prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from giving in to sin and what that would have meant for Jesus and for us if he had done that. Lord, help me in this struggle against sin. When the devil took him out and tried everything to get him to sin, uh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications all through his life with loud cries and tears to, to avoid being caught in the bondage of sin. And that's what we need to do. It took Jesus' effort, loud cries and tears to his Father to, uh, to help him. And then he says, 
For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. That's us. He can say, I know your struggles, and I can help you now by breaking the power of sin. I can help you work out that um, success in your struggle with sin. We'll work together on it. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. And this is what he's referring to in our struggles with our personal 800-pound refrigerators. Come to me. I'll help you in this. I'll walk you through it. I'll show you how to get through this successfully. So when we go into the words of wisdom of Solomon, this is the key that we have. We can actually apply the things that we see, that we read, and successfully, where Solomon wasn't able to do that. He didn't know about Jesus breaking the power of sin in our lives, but we have that advantage now. So let me pray for you and we'll go into worship. Lord, we thank you for what you've uh, done for us. Uh, you've paid the price for our freedom and to, to set us free from the, not only the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. I thank you for your patience, your gentleness in working with each one of us and your desire for us to succeed. Um, thank you for how committed you are to our success in our struggle with sins. And pray, Lord, that we would respond appropriately uh, for what you've done for us, and we would be able to walk victoriously in the things in front of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Randy, for sharing. If you're like me, it is a great encouragement to see someone who is much farther down their path and following the Lord. I don't mean to call you old, but 50 years I haven't been walking with the Lord for that long, right? Many of us haven't. And yet that's a huge testimony to me of God's faithfulness to move someone forward in the path. And yet there are many in this room who feel demoralized like failures because I, I can't get over this one thing. And yet in that moment, what we're doing is we're mistaking our failures, what we think are our failures, for God's loving patience with us, for his long-suffering. So this opportunity for us to yet again trust him, to give our lives to him. Thank you, Randy. Appreciate that. Would you guys give it up for Randy? Water's Edge is hosting a, a fundraiser, and so there are uh, little bottles over here for you to partner with them in their ministry here in Homer uh, for the sanctity of life. And so if you're interested in that, stop by the info table, we'll get you more information. Um, we don't officially end until 1230, so if you would stick around and help out, we would very much appreciate that. You guys have a wonderful week. May God bless you in your uh, work and in your days ahead.